Welcome to the Melton Forge Works podcast. I'm going to take you along on my day-to-day adventures in bladesmithing and blacksmithing. I'll be talking about the people involved in the craft and the tools and the methods that go along with it. So thanks for listening. Hey there. So in uh, my world, it's morning. It's June 1st. It's around 8.50 a.m. in the morning. I'm in the truck again, and I had a thought come to me. I thought it would be a good thing to talk about on the podcast, and that's the idea of, um, well, I don't really know even how to phrase it, but it's the idea of repeatability in your work or your uh, product versus creativity. And uh, so, let me explain. A lot of times when I go out to make a hammer in the shop, I've, I've made them now, generally speaking, I've made enough of them so that I can repeat the process without really having to do a lot of measuring. Um, but even so, the hammers generally come out a little different from one another. And that's because I'm not doing a lot of measuring. And I've I've been okay with that. And I think my customers have been okay with that. And I've told people, um, for instance, on my website, you know, when I have a hammer listed, uh, I'm pretty sure on in all the descriptions, I say that, you know, the hammer pictured may not be the hammer you receive because you know, most often I'm making the items as the orders come in. And, um, of course that's a whole other topic to think about, but, um, and, and I enjoy the creativity that comes with the freedom to not measure. But lately I've been thinking about being a little more precise and dialing my tooling and processing in so that I can make this almost the same exact hammer over and over and over. And it's not a big deal, you know, to do that. I would just need to be a bit more precise with my, the size of the starting stock, uh, the size of the billet, you know. Um, I would need to take some measurements along the way and, and do a little layout work basically, uh, about where I need holes to be punched, where fuller lines should start and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a part of me that pushes back against that because one of the reasons I enjoy doing blacksmithing so much is, is there is an element of free form creativity Um, you know, in artistic blacksmithing or what I would call artistic blacksmithing. And um, I don't want to get into the whole discussion of whether or not a person is an artist or not. Um, I consider myself a craftsman uh, more so than an artist. Uh, the, The idea of titling myself an artist just kind of makes me uncomfortable. Um, I have no right to claim that. I have no formal background in art or design or anything like that. And so, um, I tend to think of myself more 
Hey, you hear all that? That's Jackson, Mississippi, pothole-ridden streets. Sorry about that. Um, I don't feel like I have any right to the claim artist, but I definitely feel more of a craftsman. And uh, I think a craftsman is basically someone that takes raw materials and uses tools, skills, and methods to turn those raw materials into useful things. And so I feel that's more where I fit in than, uh, than an artist. But, um, with that, you know, with that said, I've been thinking a lot about processes and repeatability. And, uh, I think that I'm going to start doing that a little bit more with certain products I make, um, certain hammers that I make, you know, the, the rounding hammers and the ball peens. I've kind of got those measurements already laid out and I've actually made some notes in a notebook about those. Um, but I want to be a little more precise. And so I think I'm going to spend some time over the next, uh, few days in the shop, um, making up some new fullering tools for the hydraulic press, um, with maybe some backstops in the fullering tools, or maybe just adding some backstops, adjustable stops, uh, in the fullering tools that I have already so that I can, you know, put a billet into place and have it line up in the same way every time, um, for certain hammer styles. So anyway, it's just something I was thinking about, you know, there, there, there's a bit of a juxtaposition between, uh, free form creativity and precise layout and, uh, and design. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling as I'm talking about it to kind of figure out the relationship between those two. I think you can still be really creative while you follow a precise layout and measurement. And I know some other hammer makers uh, that come to mind. I'm not going to throw any names out, but I'm, I'm thinking about uh, two or three guys specifically that I know I've watched their process and I know they're breaking out calipers and rulers and, you know, they're, they're laying out very precise uh, punch marks in their work, you know, when they go to make things. And you can tell, you know, their hammers generally come out looking um, very, very similar. But then if you go watch some guy like, uh, like Brent Bailey, for example, um, he's got a book called 10 hammers, which is an excellent book. If you haven't gotten it, you need to go get it. And I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but in the 10 hammers book, um, Brent gives a picture by picture layout of how he makes his, uh, these 10 different style of hammers. And, um, he gives a generalized, uh, idea of like where to punch the eye. I think in the book, he says something like, you know, you want to start the eye around an inch from the face on this one, you know, but I don't see him breaking calipers out very often. And I think that's just a result of him having made so many hammers in those styles so many times that he doesn't need those dimensions anymore. Or maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe in his, uh, off camera time where he's not making videos, he's whipping out calipers. But, um, anyway, I'll keep you updated on how that goes. Just thought it would be, uh, an interesting topic to think about. So,
I'm almost to the office, so I'll see you in a bit. Hey there, it's uh, Thursday now, which is the uh, 4th of June. It's about 12.20, and you guessed it, I'm in the vehicle again. Thought I would catch up on uh, where I last left off. I think I last left off talking about the... um, a little bit about the difference between pre-planning and free-form foraging or making and that kind of stuff. Um, and that idea has kind of been rolling around in my head over the past couple of days. Um, and uh, over the past few days, I've been working on this playhouse or shed now in the backyard, trying to fix it up. And I've been doing a lot of woodworking, which requires a significant amount of planning and precise measurement and marking. And I just thought it was kind of funny that, um, sometimes there seems to be a difference for me when I grab a piece of steel and go to the anvil and start forging it, uh, as opposed to when I grab a two by four and go to cutting it and making it fit in the right place, you know, with woodwork and some other crafts, I think, um, there's a certain amount of precision that's required. But um, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting um, opposing point that I ran into when I started doing woodwork this week. Um, I started to make a door for that playhouse, and uh, I took a bunch of two-by-fours and ran them through a 10-inch planer that I've got. And it's an older Ryobi planer, and uh, I bought it from a guy... I think it was a Facebook Marketplace ad a few years, a couple of years ago, right after Facebook Marketplace really kind of opened up. Um, this guy placed an ad for a Ryobi planer, and I needed a planer at the time because I was making a table. Um, and so I went and picked up this planer, and when I picked it up from the guy, he was an older he was an older man, and he told me he said, "Now, son, this is one of the good ones. This ain't no piece of junk. This is a." this is a Japanese Ryobi and I didn't know what he meant. And so I went looking on some woodworking forums later about it and, uh, figured out that, um, these were Japanese built Ryobi brand planers in the mid or early eighties. And, uh, from what I, from what I understand and from what I've gathered from other woodworkers, um, these are really good machines, and so I'm glad to have it. I ran the two by fours through that to uh, flatten them out on both sides and on the edges. I was using the planer kind of as a jointer so that I could get all those boards uh, sandwiched together to make a door for the shed. And my idea is that once I get this door built, it'll be kind of a heavy duty door made of solid two by fours. Um, I'm going to forge some door hardware for it. And uh, so I've been looking over the last day or two at uh, the Suffolk latch, or Suffolk latch, I guess that's how you say it, S-U-F-F-O-L-K. And, you know, it's the kind of door latch where you have a little thumb pad that you push down at the top, and that thumb thumb lever uh, opens up the lever on the inside, which latches on another part. A fairly simple mechanism, but I, I think it'll be fun to forge some of the hardware for that door. And I think I'm going to make some, uh, like inch and a half 
straps that go across the door uh, and I'll forge out some hardware to go along with that maybe some tacks or nails to hold that onto the door and um, and then when I get all done I'm going to put all that forged hardware on the door and we'll we'll stain that door and I think it's going to look really nice to have a stained wooden door with the forged hardware on there I think it'll look pretty cool when I get done so um going to work on that when I get the door actually finished I uh after I planed all those boards last night I, I glued them all together and used some big furniture clamps to hold them together and then this morning um we had a, a boy scout activity we had to go and deliver some food boxes they're still they're still not allowing a lot of things because of uh coronavirus and um one of the things that our scout troop helps out with from time to time is to deliver food boxes um, to some elderly and uh, indigent people. And um, anyway, we we went and knocked that out this morning and this afternoon. I've got to go into work for a little bit, so I won't probably won't get back out to the shop until later tonight. And I've got a couple of orders, blacksmith orders, to get done, um, mailing off the fourth hammer this week today so I, I knocked out several of those hammers and sent them off in the mail and I'm about to mail off a little one pound or one and a quarter pound rounding hammer and uh, then I've got a few more hammers to get made and the things I've got to work on tonight are keychains so if you watch my Instagram you might have seen me post a picture of some little keychains with a with the letter C inside of an arrow, and that is the logo for my kid's school. The Clinton Arrow is their is their mascot or logo, the Clinton Arrows. And uh, so I, I made a couple of Clinton Arrow keychains, which are basically just little pieces of forged steel with that stamp in it. Um, and um, I posted that and had a few more orders for those come in, so I've got to get those knocked out tonight and um, start squaring up billets for the next order of hammers. So that's what I've been up to. Um, oh, one other thing. I wanted to talk a little bit about 2x72s real quick. I know in the last episode, I spent the whole time, or the last podcast, I spent the whole episode basically talking about 2x72s, but I just I wanted to throw out something that I ran into yesterday with mine. So... Um, I obviously I built my primary two by seventy-two that I use, and uh, I use it for all kinds of things. But I'm constantly finding new ways to use the two by seventy-two for things other than just blacksmithing or bladesmithing. And that happened yesterday. I needed to cope some trim work. And uh, if you're not familiar with what coping trim is, um, it just means to cut the trim in a way so that it lays on top of another piece of wood trim um, instead of having to cut a 45 degree corner, you can cope one piece of the trim and basically lay it on top of the other one. You're cutting a contour in one piece so that it lays on the top of the other piece and looks like a 45 degree or a 90 degree corner. 
Um, so anyway, I needed to cope some wood trim and the way that you're supposed to do that is with a little small hand coping saw, which has a really tiny thin blade and it's kind of tedious work. And, um, I tried to do it a couple of times with a coping saw and I'm just terrible at it. My father was really, really good with it, but, um, I never quite got as good as he was. And so I got to looking at the, at, at the cuts that I needed to make. And I thought about a contact wheel that I had, which is a contact wheel that I purchased from Rob over at Beaumont Metalworks, uh, the guys that do the KMG grinder. And, um, I realized that that tracking wheel, I mean, not tracking wheel, that, that contact wheel, which is a rubber coated contact wheel was the same basic diameter that I needed to put into that piece of trim. So I put that contact wheel on my grinder and I put the trim on it and ground out, uh, two different radius on the trim and it fit perfect. It worked great. And, uh, I was just sitting there thinking the whole time while I was grinding, those little pieces of wood, I was like, you know, I, I never would have thought when I built uh, a two by 72 that I would be using it for that kind of woodworking. But I, I do use that. I do use my grinder in woodworking quite a bit. You know, a lot of times I just need to knock corners off of a piece of wood or uh, knock some splinters off and I'll just run over to the two by 72 real quick and fire it up. And uh, it's just so fast and convenient rather than digging around and grabbing uh, a hand sanding machine or a, a small hand belt sander or something I can just walk over to the 2x72 and usually knock out what I need to do in just a few seconds um, another cool note about that tracking wheel from KMG is that um, when I went to film Forged in Fire uh, and we were shown the weapon that we were going to have to make, which was the 17th century French small sword. Um, they give us, they give you a parameter sheet for your final weapon. And, uh, on the parameter sheet that I was given, it said we had to have a triple hollow grind on our blade and that the blade needed to have, uh, in profile, it needed to have a triangular shape. So if you look, if you cut the blade in, in half and looked at the profile of the blade, it's a triple hollow grind, two hollow grinds on the top and one on the bottom. And so that if you look at that profile, it's, it's kind of an odd looking triangle. And so when I was on the flight home from New York, getting ready for the film crew to show up at my house, I realized that I did not have a contact wheel with uh, a tight enough radius to do that hollow grind that I needed to do on that on that sword. And so, uh, as soon as I got home, I started looking to see how I could do that kind of a grind. And um, the only place that I could find online that had a hollow grind contact wheel in the diameter I needed was Beaumont Metalworks. And so I got on the phone with them as soon as I landed and asked if they had that particular contact wheel in stock. And they did, and they sent it to me and it came to my house and it arrived the day that I began filming, uh, my home forge portion of the show. And, um, the rule is with Forged in Fire that you cannot use equipment 
that you don't already have in your shop. So if you have equipment that you, if you find that you need equipment to finish your finale weapon, um, and you don't have it, you're, the rules that I was under when I was in there in uh, season five was that you couldn't go and buy new equipment in the middle of your build. You had to use what you had in your shop. And so anyway, that contact wheel from, from Beaumont was sitting in a box at the house. And right before we started filming, I, I said, oh man, I remembered I've got, I've got a piece of equipment um, that, that's critical for this build. Can I go get it? And, um, and they said, sure, since it was already at the house, technically, and I didn't have to leave to go get it, they allowed me to use that contact wheel. And that contact wheel was critical in, in the build of my finale weapon. So anyway, I wound up using that same contact wheel yesterday on a piece of trim. So anyway, um, some of you probably may not care about that story, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I'll see you in the next segment. Later. Bye. Hey, it's Saturday morning. It's early. It's about 6.20 on a Saturday morning. And I'm headed into Clinton to pick up some steel from a guy. There was uh, another local guy on Instagram that reached out to me. He's a woodworker. And uh, he reached out to me and said, Hey, I, I was cleaning out a barn and found some old leaf spring packs. Do you want them? And I said, Well, sure. So I'm going in to pick those up from him. Um, I like getting the old leaf springs when I can. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I've heard that the older leaf springs are better. So I don't know. That might be true. Might be. Might be. Might be not true. But um, anyway, it's free spring steel, so I'm gonna go pick it up. And uh, I also needed to get a blade for my abrasive chop saw while I'm here. Because I've got to cut a little bit more steel today. I cut some steel yesterday for some hammers. And uh, what I've started doing with 1045 is I'll take, like if I've got some hammers to make. And I'm going to take some 2 inch round 1045. Which I usually get in the form of hydraulic shaft material. Which has a chrome plating on it. I'll take that 1045 and measure off how much I need to cut. And um, I've started putting that in the uh, abrasive chop saw and just scoring a little bit. You know, just cutting through the chrome plating just a little bit. And then I'll put it on my big bandsaw and cut through. And that seems to really help save bandsaw blades and it... Um, starts to cut faster because the blade's not sitting there trying to cut through that hard chrome. So uh, anyway, I've got some steel to cut and then I've got to run the forge today. Uh, this time of year, it is getting to be extremely hot in the shop. I live right in the center of Mississippi. Uh, I live outside of Jackson, Mississippi in a little town or north of a little town called Clinton. And, um, this time of year, it's it's pretty hot. So this is generally the more humid part of our summer. And uh, yesterday, I think it was like 92 degrees or so with uh, humidity in the high 80 to 90%. It was just 
brutal and um, being out in the shop uh, sitting beside a gas forge like a jet engine is just it's just not a lot of fun and so I'm trying to move my forging more to like one or two days a week where where I kind of do all the general rough forging uh, at a certain time and then I'll do the rest of the work grinding and whatnot on other days I've got fans in the shop but you know I don't have air conditioning and so it's just hot so I'm trying to trying to do the best I can to keep cool so I'm gonna go meet this guy grab these leaf spring packs and then uh, head back to the house and light up the forge so I'll let you know how that goes see ya All right, it's, uh, let's see, it's Monday evening, it's June the 8th, it's about 9.45 at night, and we are under a hurricane uh, weather event right now, so living here in Mississippi, we get a lot of weather from the coast, and uh, whenever a hurricane comes up the Gulf of Mexico and hits the Gulf Coast of Mississippi or Louisiana and the New Orleans area, we eventually get the rain from all that, and so... For like the past 24 hours, it's been just, you know, nonstop band after band of rain. But um, I did get the forge lit the other day after I picked up that leaf spring pack. And um, I forged out a hammer made from the cutoff threaded end of a, of a 1045 shaft. So I put some pictures of that hammer up on Instagram. I think it turned out pretty cool. It's a straight peen. And... Um, for those of you that don't know, a straight peen is where the the peen or the um, vertical or horizontal shaped part of the back of the hammer of a typical blacksmith's hammer is in line with the handle instead of perpendicular to the handle. So a, a regular cross peen, the, the back of the hammer, the peen, is perpendicular to the handle and on a straight pin it's in line so anyway I made a hammer out of the uh, threaded end of a 1045 hydraulic shaft and it's got a pretty cool look to it so uh, go check that out on my Instagram and see what you think um, it, it has like this weird uh, almost like a uh, corduroy type of look to it from the uh, lines of the threading that got mashed down during the forging but so uh, I forged that hammer out and um, let's see what else did I get done I cut a bunch more steel so I used all the the saw material and stuff I was talking about a little while ago I used that to uh, to cut up the remaining bit of 1045 that I had in the shop into um, billets for several different kinds of hammers and since then I have forged out two one pound ball peens a one pound or maybe pound and a quarter war axe a spiked war axe and um, there's something else I made I've forgotten what I did over there well I'm in the shop now and I'm looking maybe that's it oh I worked on another um punch for the press so a hammer eye punch I, I put a new hammer eye punch together I've got it tack welded I haven't finished welding it all up but the existing punch that I made was made by a guy on Instagram you probably know him uh, CJ Dufton and it's just about 
seen um, too much use. It's gotten kind of stubby and I've bent it a few times and fixed it and it's just getting kind of rough. So I went ahead and made up a new hammer eye punch to use on the press. And uh, so, oh, and I, I had a few more orders for like cross keychains and stuff like that that came in. So I just came out here tonight to finish up a couple of those uh, cross keychains and I got to get those in the mail tomorrow. So that's what I've been up to. I think I'm going to wrap this episode up here. So um, I will talk to you next time. See you. Bye. All right. Well, that's episode 25 in the can, as they say. I think in the next episode, number 26, I'm going to talk about Damascus. I think I get more questions about Damascus from beginners than any other question. So I'm going to spend an episode talking about uh, Damascus and my thoughts on it. So anyway, I uh, look forward to that and I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.